0: Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation, on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, amazing home-based fitness education for you and you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified so go to primalhealthcoach.com/brad to enjoy a very special limited time and I'm not kidding this is a big time discount just for you 25% off your tuition, a fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com/brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Hey listeners, I'm so pleased to welcome Dave Scott to the show and I thought I'd record this intro in case you don't know who he is or you've never heard of him. And if you're a triathlete, I'm almost certain that you've heard of him because he's one of the great legends of the sport the six-time winner of the Hawaii Ironman. Uh, When we get on the show, he'll talk about his beginnings and how he went out to Hawaii and saw this wacky event that had been featured in Sports Illustrated the prior year. Uh, He saw that and he said, you know what, I'm going to race that thing. Even though those crazy distances, everyone was thinking of survival, he went out there and destroyed the field and kind of ushered in the professional era of the sport where he was a proclaimed a full time triathlete. He was coaching swimming in Davis, California, and training literally all day long with his swim workouts, bicycle rides, and running. We're talking hundreds of miles pedaling the bicycle a week, running 50, 60, 70 miles like a proper marathon runner, and swimming for hours and hours. So Dave Scott definitely ushered in the professional era of triathlon. And another unique feature about him and his career is he is very, very steeped in the science of exercise physiology as well as nutrition, always has been. So he's kind of been a leader uh, for both the athletes and the people that he coaches. Everyone looks to him for guidance and for the scientific validation of all the training patterns that varied and emerged uh, over the years. What's really interesting and especially gratifying for me is to see Dave has made this transition from the carbohydrate paradigm and the high-carbohydrate training and eating patterns of endurance athletes, and now he's full deep into the low-carb and even the keto scene, and towards the end of the show, he gets on his soapbox and goes off. It's pretty awesome because Dave's a mild-mannered guy, but this is a very big issue. It's the issue of endurance athletes... And all uh, extreme athletes or devoted athletes potentially and now scientifically validated to be compromising their health while they pursue fitness due to the adverse dietary practices, the high consumption of refined carbohydrates in the name of performing and recovering for their events, whether it's CrossFit or anything that's cardiovascular. As Dave laments on the show, he was a guy that was eating those mountains of carbohydrates, some of them not too healthy. He was working for companies and pitching products that were pushing refined carbohydrate products onto the athlete. And that was because we were kind of stuck in that carbohydrate paradigm. Dave said the science was there, but we just kind of ignored it or pushed it aside. And now we've had this wonderful awakening and he's at the forefront with the athletes that he works with and all the traveling and lecturing that he does. I think you're going to really enjoy the show and you're going to get a beautiful blend of deep science where it's almost hard to follow But you can definitely appreciate this guy knows what he's talking about. This jock knows what he's talking about. But you're also going to get insights from the mindset of a champion athlete, just real-life insights about what it takes to be out there performing at that high level and working with other athletes because Dave has worked with many world champion Hawaii Ironman top, top top-level performers in recent years. And he also works with uh, plenty of recreational athletes. So this is a show that has something to offer for everyone. Please welcome dave scott from his home in boulder colorado thank you so much for listening welcome listeners it's brad kearns and guess who i caught up with finally it's dave scott triathlon multi-sport endurance legend how you doing dave
1: good brad it has been a while we were just chatting off camera and uh, i don't know the last time we collided but uh, your name has come up a lot and i think we raced way back in the 90s together
0: um, if if memory serves me, and uh, the older I get, the faster I was, as the saying goes. I don't know about you, but similar. Yeah, yeah. So now you're in Boulder, and you're still right in the thick of the triathlon scene. I see your your videos, your articles. I mean, it's just been an amazing run. And for those of the listeners that aren't familiar with you know the triathlon history, okay, you brought this thing into the into the prominence and really into the professionalism when you went over to Hawaii and did that, uh, that hobby activity that the military guys were doing and said, okay, you know what, this is a race, guys. And so I've, that was 1980, right, the first, uh, the first, your first
1: visit to Hawaii Ironman. That's correct, Brad. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I <clears throat> was naive like a lot of folks, but uh, my mindset was uh, I'm going to race this thing. I'm not going to survive it. So that was kind of, you know, even at the outset, I think being green, uh, it seemed to, seemed to work the first time, and I went back uh, many more times after that.
0: Many more times, got six wins, as any dutiful triathlete uh, should know. And it is kind of cool to see... Um, how well people remember the old days and the, the battle of you and Mark Allen and all this stuff that's in triathlon lore but it's so long ago now um, I, you know the, the years go by quickly but um, the other thing that's interesting about that just to jump a little bit is that the caliber of your performance 25 years ago um, still stacks up very strongly to uh, the, the the modern age here where we have all this high tech and this biofeedback and of course the nutrition and all the advantages oh the coaching I forgot to mention that. Um, so what's your, what's your quick quip on that, man? How did you guys do this so long ago on those clunky bikes without any uh, synthetic performance fuels or really even any um, advanced biofeedback uh, tools to use?
1: Well, I, don't, I think, you know, Mark was uh, obviously a ferocious competitor, and we just kind of kept heightening our game uh, based on, on our competitiveness. Um, you know, I, I don't think we really put a parameter on ourselves, and the, the tactics are a little bit different. In today's racing, there's a bigger group on the bike, and they're having to move back and forth and we could just you know ride at at, at the pace that we wanted to hold and and um I remember my mark reminded me of this in nineteen eighty nine when we raced and i at the press conference, they said, "Well, what do you think you can do and I just recited these numbers I said, "Well, I think I'm pretty consistent on the swim i'll, I'll ride this fast and I can run about six minute miles for a marathon and and I think everyone gasped and Mark and I joke about it today because uh." You know, I think he went home, went to bed and said, you know, I think I can do this as well. But boy, Dave Scott set the bar high. So, uh, you know, I, honestly, I'd rather the athletes today are such brilliant athletes and tremendous runners. I mean, if you look at the half Ironman, the 70.3 races, their times are just phenomenal. And I'm just waiting for them to step up in Kona and be able to particularly run fast on the marathon. And that hasn't happened. So, you know, Mark and I, our, our times do kind of hold the test of time at least for a while
0: so you're saying your prediction at the press conference was more accurate than arturo barrios uh, predicting that he could get off the bike and run a 214 that was a famous one he, arturo barrios was a world-class uh, i believe held the world record at 10k for a while in 27 flat um, but you know to get serious about the um the the issue here uh, maybe there's that specificity where you were training with really a devoted focus to uh, excelling in October at Hawaii Ironman as your, as your most prominent goal and what all that entailed out on the island where, you know, the translation from doing a half and under four hours and smoking the, the run at whatever pace, um, 13 extra miles is a whole different, is it a different training uh, pattern as well and a different mindset?
1: Well, I think the training, uh, really to a fault, maybe we'll get into this, but, uh, you know, I think to a fault, a lot of us did a lot of volume, and we know that uh, that's not necessarily true. I'm actually giving a talk at the medical conference in Hawaii coming up this Sunday, uh, just about high high to interval training, which I did. Yeah,
0: Dave Scott says, don't do what I did. Uh, Welcome, welcome, physicians.
1: Well, in in some ways, I I did that way back when I was doing higher intensity stuff and I came came from a background uh, in water polo and swimming. And and we incorporated that and also a lot of strength training, which I still do today. And I think a lot of the athletes are very seasonal on that. And that's a mistake. So, um, you know, some of the things that we did was uh, really on a whim. It was trial and error, and, and it worked. And we followed a little bit of the science, but you know, I, I always felt, even way back when, I was giving out information that I said this is on the cutting edge. But you know, ironically, Brad, as you know, certainly the nutritional side of what information we were doling out, like carbohydrates work and you need to eat a lot of carbohydrates and you need to train with carbohydrates and you need to fuel yourself with carbohydrates. And, and you know, there, there are good studies obviously show, showing that uh, you, you know, get good refueling blood sugar levels stay low. You can replenish muscle and liver glycogen levels. Uh, protein synthesis happens, but we didn't really look at the whole spectrum. So, you know, I look back at what I did way back in the eighties and nineties and I think you know i was able to to survive despite doing a few things that were really wrong
0: uh well i suppose that you had built a fair measure of uh, fat adaptation back then just from the uh tremendous uh commitment to training um, so it 's possibly even that the the average recreational competitor can benefit further from this transition away from carbohydrate dependency and high sugar consumption associated with endurance and and looking at that uh, the latest breaking stuff and we 'll get into this further uh, with with keto and with the the whole uh, low carb movement but um, yeah, I, I bet you you probably would have done pretty well back in the day going four hours on one fig and a bottle of water right
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> Interestingly, I, you know, I think I was quite fat adapted, even though my diet dietary intake was really high in carbohydrates. And and I actually spoke with Tim Noakes recently. You know, great uh, uh, scientist and medical doctor out of South Africa, and and he has done a 360 degree. Uh, turn is, and you're, I'm sure you're keenly aware, Brad, that he's uh, put out a book, The Real Meal Revolution, and, and it's really on the Banting, which um, goes way back and started the ketogenic diet, and and he was one who just went out there and he said, need carbs, 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 and and we didn't really look at the whole, we we didn't really look at the whole picture, you know, what happens if we're fat adapted. But getting back to this, he had actually commented in his book, Law of Running, uh, well before we had chatted about uh gosh mark allen dave scott have to be burning very high levels of fatty acids in that run they did in 89 you know the pace and, and uh you know we're looking at obviously people that are fat adapted now that are they're oxidizing fats at a very fast rate we were doing it then despite the high intake of carbohydrates so i think the training evolution that we had obviously uh, kind of segued to that but we you know health-wise it, That was the wrong thing to do, and uh, we can kind of get into this because, uh, you know, the amount of carbohydrates that a lot of athletes are eating, including myself, was really a mistake.
0: Uh, Do you think there's any adverse effects, uh, you know, today uh, in terms of what you did to your body, not only the the high-carb diet but the training volume? Or are you feeling pretty good? You're strong? You got any, any complaints?
1: I got a lot of complaints, but uh, yeah, I think of both both of those areas that you just mentioned, I I think there's a long-term issue that a lot of the endurance athletes that are following a carbohydrate regimen um, you know, they become very glucose sensitive. They become in, uh, insulin sensitive. Uh, as soon as they take in that sugar, you know, they're they're processing it, but they're having to. Uh, you know, there's lots of different steps in processing it. We can look at you know, initially when they when they take it in, it has to be transported. You know, where is it transported? Eventually, it, it, is it transported for to your brain, to your muscles, or and then how are we storing it? And I think the the bad ramification of a lot of athletes and certainly, you know, just people that are trying to follow a healthy lifestyle is that they're getting these massive in- increases of insulin and I- insulin is very inflammatory, as you know. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, what I did during my career was uh, you know, I filled myself with carbohydrates and I ate a lot of crap. Uh, there was a lot of carbohydrates that were, you know, just dreadful carbohydrates. And now we, we know if you're going to be keto adapted, you got to be at a very low level. But, but I, I think this up and down cyclic pattern that we have with insulin is is really very, very difficult for your cardiovascular system. And, and we know that, um, you know, you, you can start laying down this glycation, you know, uh, lipid proteins or, or or proteins themselves that eventually place havoc on your arteries. And you know, the irony of of the other side of what you just mentioned, Brad, doing higher volume. Uh, we know eventually, you know, your heart kind of wears out. That really simplifies it. And I've known about this for a long time. I gave a, I've given a lot of talks on. and I said, well, I, that's not me. I still do high intensity interval training, but at times I did a lot of volume. I was at the medical conference in Kona last year, and I just mentioned this in, in my talk. There was a specialist there, a cardiologist, who had been studying uh, a lot of endurance athletes. And it's the incidence of uh, heart-related arrhythmias in endurance athletes is, is staggering. I had atrial flutter uh, about two years ago. And uh, it kind of came out of nowhere, but it came on a day where I had ridden about uh, up to up to Ward up to <laughs> up above that. It's about a uh, six thousand foot climb, and it was a warm day. Came down, was dehydrated, swam after that, mowed a couple lawns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, usual, Dave.
1: Yeah. yeah, Sat down at night, and all of a sudden my heart rate was crazy, and I went in the next day and, and uh, to the ER room. I was actually going to go to the bookstore, but I thought, you know, I don't feel quite right, and tr- tried to run actually the next day, and I just had to walk, run, and I said, wow, I'm really out of whack, and you know i I discovered that I had atrial atrial flutter, and you know once you have this once an athlete has it, then I mean, there's different procedures that can negate it but certainly the the fat adapted diet is is a very big plus for your heart to you get away from the carbohydrates, and i've kind of negated that over the last two years by shifting to this higher fat and there's some really interesting studies looking at it as well so Kind of answering your question, Brad. In a long-winded answer, I think a lot of a lot of athletes that think more is better, bigger volume is better. You know, are you really laying down your aerobic plumbing? And, And I think you know, we look at aerobic plumbing. We can look at oxidative enzymes and blood volume and hematocrit and hemoglobin and mitochondria. Well, what happens with the longer volume is that you really destroy the capability of the mitochondria, and that is really key. And that's why. A lot of endurance athletes on that singular day, whether it's Ironman or it's a you know 100k running race or whatever it may be, they can do it on that day, but they better not keep training that massive volume kind of hard because it really affects um, it really affects your stroke volume, your cardiac output. A lot of athletes are trying to rev up their heart rate; they're keeping their heart rate high for a long time, as I did. And their stroke volume, amount of blood that they pump per beat times their heart rate equals their cardiac output, the amount that they're producing per minute. But if you do higher intensity exercise, it has kind of a cleansing effect because you get big arterial flow, you get this massive venous return, and that's actually good for your heart. So you reap all the benefits and even more of what people think, gee, if I do more volume, I'm, I'm going to be a better aerobic machine. And ironically, there's got to be a little bit of a mix. And you got to do the higher intensity stuff. Anyway, I got off your question, but it's a very interesting topic. I'm talking about this at, that, at the medical conference on high intensity interval training. I'm talking about the health parameters and also the endurance uh, potential of people integrating this and reducing the amount of volume that they're doing for health reasons and performance reasons.
0: Wow, you, you covered a lot. It's uh, it's nice that you're you're mentioning this story because uh, I'm glad you're okay. But as we both know, a lot of our peers uh, have been stricken with very serious cardiovascular disease problems and even sudden death and and terrible terrible things. Um, Steve Larson, Ryan Shea, Greg Welch with his many surgeries, and the list goes on and on. It's it's pretty detailed of elite level athletes being stricken, and so now we're finding out. And there's articles like. Um, uh one foot in the grave i think it was in outside magazine or wall street journal that's talking about this increased prevalence so you're saying that um that high volume especially at uh at a, at an ambitious pace like a cyclist can do, maybe even more so than a runner. But there's, now we have this triathlete who can go high volume and good intensity in the pool, uh, same on the bike, and then putting in the, the high-stress running, and you're adding up to a, a great strain on the heart, even at the uh, recreational level, because people are being and they've been taught for years that they have to put high volume in to succeed at iron distance or
1: half iron. Yeah, I think one of the things that you know, we've maybe ill-advised athletes Is that it's okay to drive your heart rate up but you don't want to drive it up for long periods of time that kind of hard mantra that we have which you just described beautifully brad is is really what a lot of people lock into they become pretty fit and they do everything kind of hard so their heart rate stays up pretty high to try to drive that cardiac output and that's really a mistake we really should be telling our our endurance athletes we need to train a little bit lower Train lower, train less volume, but then integrate these higher intensity efforts, you know, really from your, your your VO2 to what I call anaerobic endurance. So we can kind of look at repeats from 15 seconds to two minutes. You can do a whole gob of those and, you know, they hurt like fury when you do them. <laughs> Um, but the return is, is really magic because you're, you're producing uh, this protein called a myokine and uh, the cytokines, there there's different kinds. Some are very inflammatory and some are pro-inflammatory. The myokines are the good ones. And what we see with the high-intensity interval training is that these just, these just open up the floodgate, which is a real positive notion when we do large volume Kind of hard training, we get the ones that are inflammatory, the, the cytokines, and those are the bad ones that kind of wear us down.
0: Uh, yeah, we call this chronic cardio. And then we're also big supporting uh, Phil Maffetone's assertion that when you're building that aerobic base, you need to perform at a very comfortable heart rate, much more comfortable than most people are used to on their typical workout. Um, how does that message? Uh, align with you? I, I would imagine you, you're, um, you're supporting that integration of high-intensity workouts as a critical component, even to a, an ultra-distance athlete. But when you're out there building that base or, or putting in the miles to get ready to do the intense workout, uh, how do you feel about that type of training?
1: Well, I think a couple things. One, uh, there's, there's no real formula on heart on heart rate, unless you're looking at resting part, heart rate or heart rate reserve, if you just take uh, you know a hypothetical two twenty minus your age, there's a great variance, almost thirty percent for any age person. So you can take a sixty year old and say, gee, you know, two twenty minus your age less sixty is is one uh, sixty. So that that's going to be a you know, whatever it is. And and that's really false because you can look at another 60 year old and say, you know, gee I, I can't get my heart rate above 130 when I'm working hard. So I, I think the notion really on perceived exertion is that the the lower the lower the volume or the intensity is a good idea because you start laying down those oxidative enzymes in capillary beds but you can really expedite that by integrating higher intensity exercise shorter periods even during what people call their base building periods so i i never refer to it now as you need to get a lot of volume in because that's going to be the best thing for you. No, it's not. You're really off, really better off because people, you know, want to maximize their time. And most people don't have, you know, this inordinate amount of time unless you're professional or you're independently wealthy uh, to just say, oh, I'm going to go out and ride my bike six hours. And that's the best thing for me. And I'd say, no, it's not. You know, I, I wish you only had two hours, but let's let's put in 12 to 24 minutes of higher intensity in that two hours even during the off season, because uh, again the the parameters that m- measure cardiovascular health are the first one is is a higher stroke volume, so that helps the stroke volume and and the, you know the second thing is that we do want to look at all the uh, the physiology, so we want to look at the capillary density we want to we look at the functionality of the mitochondria and and what a lot of endurance athletes do is they get stronger throughout the year, they end up going longer. They go kind of hard even more, and they, they actually destroy their mitochondria. They actually can kill off their mitochondria. They become dysfunctional. And so they're coming into their big races, and their energy organelle is kind of smashed. They're saying, "Why wow, you wipe me out. And I, and I think this you know this happens a lot, and I'd see it in Man when people would, you know, October, I want to be ready. And they do multiple races, big, long stuff, and they come to October, and they're shattered. Whew,
0: and i guess the uh the, the simple i mean there's the symptoms are probably just that fried feeling at the end of the day or something that you're you're damaging your mitochondria you're doing that damage to that extent does it manifest in just poor performance or an extra cold catching or, or something like that
1: well it, it you know it obviously attacks your immune system, so your vulnerability for upper respiratory tract infections cold uh you know that that kind of opens pandora's box and and saying, "Gee, I, I, you know, I pummeled myself for five days. I felt great, and all of a sudden, by the weekend, you're creamed. Uh, uh, and, and even on a day to day, if you wake up the next day, and Brad, as you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors because we were talking about this before we went on. Uh, you know, if you if you're running like a, a wild hamster all the time, you're going around that wheel." and you're not getting enough sleep, and, and you've got a lot of stress, well, that, that can really bring you down quickly. I mean, the sleep is really, you know, paramount for, for good health. So, I you know, I think a lot of athletes that wake up and they say, you know, I'm really fatigued just as I get out of bed, but yet I'm going to do this workout. And and we've done it. Both of, both of us have done this, you know, over time. Well, I can do it. And they have the mindset, okay, I, I I've got to get this swim and this bike and this run and the strength stuff or whatever it is and get all my work in and see my kids and all, all that business well by the end of that day and weeks and weeks you know you're you're you have the inability to really rebound and recover and that's a mistake so i think when we look at uh you know this in, in certain these higher intensity periods it's, it's certainly less less volume and the recovery from it is actually pretty quick so a lot of athletes can incorporate this you know, if certainly in this sport, in triathlon, if you're doing two sessions per week per discipline, that might be six and you're doing strength training and you're doing a seventh one, that's possible to do that. And, that, and that's not excessive. It's less excessive than someone says, oh, gee, I'm going to go out and I've got a free block of time. You know, I'm unemployed now, so I'm going to go out and exercise 40 hours this week. Well, you know, that's not good advice.
0: Um, now, in your uh, journey as an athlete, I believe you kind of came to this. I mean, you told us this, Andrew McNaughton and I went to see you in 1988. We drove to your home in Davis and you laid it all out on the line for us. But you said um, one of the driving factors was, you know, the boredom of training all day. And you're so into the physiology and you you just decided that you could accomplish the same thing with doing the workout patterns that you described where you up the intensity and, um, you know, do something different than just adding to that mileage bank, which was the mentality. For so long, uh, predating, you know, I guess the modern age where we're starting to pay more attention to the different training zones and things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of endurance athletes just kind of slog along and it's broken conversation pace if you're running. And that's real common. And in Boulder, where I live, you know, not picking on an individual. We have a lot of skinny fat people. We have a lot of really unhealthy people. They look thin, they look, you know, look good in their clothes. They have no lean muscle mass. Yeah, they're bent over exactly. And, um, and, and I think a lot of them just are always in that kind of aerobic zone and they'll wrap it up a little bit where again, I keep using the two, two words kind of hard, uh, so, you know, what happens is, is, is that they don't really enhance their physiology over time. They start wearing it out. And, uh, you know, I remember Andrew actually bumped into him a couple of years ago and, and we, we were chatting in, in uh, Kona. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's a couple things to keep in mind when we talk about doing higher intensity. It, it's not going to failure when you're doing the exercise thing. You kind of want to feel this uh, huge fatigue. And so, for example, let's just say I said, let's do six times one minute on your bike and I'm going to give you two to three minutes recovery in between. And you're you're asking, well, how hard? And I say as hard as you can go. And we're going to combine standing and seated or we're going to go up that little grade. Well, it's only six minutes. You think, well, that can't be too bad. And you get through the first couple and all of a sudden you think, wow, my, my legs, my whole body is feeling this fatigue. And that's the stimulus for these these, uh, very uh, helpful myokines, these proteins that we produce. And again, when you do these short periods, you get this great cleansing action from these myokines, which are really good for your system. You don't get this doing that long aerobic run with your partner. And I'm not adverse to that at all, Brad. You know, I think people that would be doing Ironman, they say, gee, I want to go out and ride five hours or I want to run two. I say, yeah, let's go do it. You know, part of it's confidence. There's a certain amount of eccentric load that if they're not doing strength training on running is, is a real plus, but you don't do it every week. And the and kind of the, the protocol for a lot of endurance athletes is that, gee, I have the weekend. So therefore, Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to go out and do big, long volume days. And I'm going to do them hard because I'm with my buddies and they're going to push the pace. So we're all going to do it hard. And one male or female is always on to race. And so you kind of up it even more, but you do that every single weekend. And there's a lot of athletes that have that kind of destructive pattern.
0: I'm going to take that quote and run with it. Dave Scott says, kind of hard is not really going to get you. Um, so it's really kind of, uh, uh when when it's time to go hard, you go hard, and you and you really blast it, and you get that that uh, hormonal, that that uh, cellular benefit, and you know a little a little going a long way, I would assume too, where you don't even have you don't have to do that uh, uh, multiple times, uh, you know, throughout your week.
1: Yeah, there, I and mean, there's a lot of studies on this, and of course I'm fascinated by it, and I'll just give you a real raw example. Uh, uh, the, the one of the studies looked at cyclists, and they went eight times four minutes. And four minutes is a good uh, block of time to look at your if, VO2 output, but it's 32 minutes of exercise, which I think is too long. Uh, it, it's really hard to sustain close to your VO2 or within, within uh, VVO2, within you know 5% of it. So, you know, I look at that, but th- then there's a comparative study looking at f- physiological adaptation and muscle adaptation because you, you're really trying to stimulate these fast twitch muscles the the ones that are the fast ones and the super fast the 2a and what's called the 2x muscle fibers and, and that's why you're doing this higher intensity interval training so you have to look at a five minute or in this example eight times four but they also looked at 30 second increments what if i do 30 seconds really hard and ideally probably increase in the rest as you go through the set and i don't remember the exact protocol but let's say it's 30 minutes of that. That would be extraordinary. I think it's too much. But let's say you did 60 repeats of 30 seconds. God forbid if you did that, I, I think that'd be a terrible test. But they basically found even on smaller doses, it's all the way down just to one single four-minute effort and a, a block of eight times 30 seconds, so four minutes and four minutes. They found e- equal uh, gradient increase in performance and physiological cues. So in other words, you can shorten the distance. I think there should be a mix. And I think we should be doing these VO2 down to these short 15-second ones. But I think that maybe the the, the, <laughs> the comment is, is that if you do a mix set, and, and I can give, give the listeners a, an example. If I'm doing somewhere between 12 to 20 minutes and I'm doing it hard to very, very hard, and I'm doing these shorter blocks, you might want to integrate a mixture of these. So, for example, one times four minutes, depending on the environmental conditions outside, if it's real humid, you have to give yourself more rest. If you're just starting out, it might be a one-to-one rest ratio. So it's four minutes on, four off. And then, you know, you could come back and do eight times 30 seconds. And then, to say say, three minutes and six times 45 seconds. Again, you know, you can add up the math on this, so the total work time, not work plus rest, is 12 to 20 minutes. Most people get a magical return just by doing that much. Um, and, and I'm talking about the cardiovascular. We always talk about the cardiovascular. So it's swim, bike, run, rowing, Nordic skiing, whatever it may be, we kind of all fall into that. If you're doing strength training, because the load is so much greater, the segment length and the duration is is quite a bit less, and the re- and the rest has to be a little bit longer. But the same thing same thing applies. A lot of folks that are uh, aging, like myself, Brett. Oh, <laughs> if I, I didn't.
0: I, I read an article recently that said you weren't aging. So, oh. uh, okay.
1: <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> I can still do my exercise, but I, I'm careful on what. Um, um, what I'm doing, I'm describing. It, you know what I do today, but I swam and rode my bike today, so I, I got that in. Uh, where was I? I kind of forgot what I was talking about. What was that question? Hit me again on that one. Oh mercy! You're talking
0: about the strength training being. Um, uh, you know, it's it's more difficult. You're under load, so you don't have to go for 45 seconds doing squats. I'm I'm guessing you can do shorter sets. How, yes, how did I say that, Dave? I totally forgot what we were talking about, too, but it just well, we, popped we into talking, my
1: head. We were talking about aging and our, our mindset. I, and I remember what I was talking about. For, for older athletes who just beginning, strength training really is magic. And when people think about strength training, they think, oh, gosh, I can't go under lift weights with that gorilla over there. Um, there there's an there's a ER doc, but he's also heavily involved in sports medicine. And his name is Doug McGuff, uh, M-C-G-U-F-F. And he's done a lot of studies looking at slower movement with a lot of tension. So you're creating muscle tension. So he's doing a strength training with a slow concentric movement and a slow eccentric. And so for one press, and let's say it's an overhead press or it's a lat pull down or whatever you may be doing, a full body exercise are, are the best. So let's say that you're doing a shallow squat to start with or on a hex bar or a trap bar, which is a great exercise. It slow coming up and slow coming down. Yes, exactly. The Olympic lifts are, are quite good, as you're showing me, Brett. So he, he's looked at this mild kind production by doing slow movement, and it's very safe. That was the point I wanted to make is that when people are starting out, you're, you're better off trying to do it slow. And, and I think and, – and, and no dumping on CrossFit athletes. I think a lot of the, the CrossFit stuff is magic, but I think they need to be very careful in making sure that they're holding great body position. They have good balance and symmetry before they're putting them in a, in, in a compromised position. So that – the premise of CrossFit is to do stuff very explosively. And I think there's got to be a buildup as, as they're doing this. So do it slow initially and you get a great return. And then incorporate a little bit of slow and fast movement. Hey,
0: ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gainswave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gainswave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gainswave for her. you will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gains Wave for Her. of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Yeah, CrossFit, I, I, uh, I got injured there one time doing the um, handstand push-ups against the wall because I, I was going till failure, and I, I didn't have enough uh, to finish my last rep, and I just collapsed on my neck. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little bit, uh, you, you want to be under control at all times when you're doing this stuff, and I think, uh, like you said, the novice or the person that's intimidated going into the gym thinks it's like an all-or-nothing proposition, or they're going to get, I mean, if you go in out of the blue, like I go in out of the blue, like I haven't been doing Doing my squats in, in a while, and I'll go get super sore after one workout because it's not I'm not in a good pattern, and then you kind of get deterred from going back there. So uh, I think there's you know there's a trick and a strategy to it. You've been doing it for so long, and that's interesting because I think the average uh, endurance athlete, cardiovascular athlete especially, still seems to discount that. Here, you know, decades after we've been told emphatically that this has a direct uh, improvement in performance.
1: Yeah, it's a real hole, I think, in a lot of athletes. And if, you know, fortunately, I, I had a, I've had a great opportunity in coaching some of the best. And I, I coached Christy Wellington for about four years. Who Never heard of her. Yeah.
0: Oh, Christy Wellington, multiple Ironman world champion, one of the greatest females of all time.
1: Well, I think she's the great greatest Iron person of all time, both genders. And when I first started coaching her and also Craig Alexander, who still holds the, the current fastest Ironman record in Kona – uh, eight Oh three, both of those athletes, when they came to me, I said, what are you doing strength training? They were already good. I said, what are you doing strength training wise mobility wise and your joints and stretching and so on? So I said, looked at the strength training. And ironically, both their left sides are really weak. Like their glutes are like a bucket of butter. You know, I said, fire that glute. And I, you know, I could lose my finger and, I, and they said, well, I'm trying to. And I just said, well, that's dreadful. That's awful. It, you know, all it takes is a couple words to tell, tell a world champion that they're not, <laughs> they could be a lot better my words were kind of harsh but the point is is that i think we see a lot of athletes even the very best ones and and of course they had a great conviction to rectify that issue they said well i'm going to make sure i am symmetrical i'm going to get that left glute my soreness my low back and, and my hip flexor to n- not bother me anymore and ironically they had kind of the same issues and so we can see the world's best that maybe are not as balanced as they should be not as strong as they should be not have the mobility Uh, And, you know, certainly the endurance athletes uh, that that I work with, you know, we see terrible mobility in the thoracic spine, the rotator cuff and and in their hip. And and those big areas quite often, even if you lose a couple of millimeters of mobility or strength, you you have the inability to fire the muscle completely. And then all of a sudden they see, gee, my performance is falling off. It might be age. It might be wear and tear. And I think, you you know, that's kind of presumptuous. And and I think if they would actually incorporate what I call mobility, stretching, and strength training as part of their routine, it doesn't take a lot of time each week, but the return is huge. Dr. Kelly
0: Starrett says endurance athletes should spend 15 minutes of every workout hour working on mobility, flexibility, that's a big chunk, unimaginable to most people that want to get their mileage up, but that's a good point. Dave, I want to transition a little bit to um, a problem that I I seem uh, to, to notice in the endurance scene, and that is there's still people carrying a lot of excess body fat and it's probably attributed to lingering carbohydrate dependency, maybe those training errors where they're going kind of hard a lot and creating that uh, need for dietary carbohydrate and just not really, not really getting the, the intensity in which could have a, a good trigger to, to drop body fat. What do you think in your observations?
1: Well, I'll start with that last statement. There is, there is a, a, a term called exercise post oxygen consumption, and this is this post metabolic burn after you finish exercise. So, again, if you kind of insert these higher efforts um, during your cardiovascular session, it revs up your engine because you're, you're innervating these fast twitch muscle fibers, and they have a high fatigability. They burn through glycogen real fast, but they're, they're, again, there's a great physiological adaptation from it, and you get the burn after you finish the exercise, I don't think they're doing that. But but I think it really comes back to what you mentioned, Brad, is that a lot of them are just consuming extraordinary amounts of carbohydrate. And, and, and I saw this when I was involved with the, as a national coach with team and training, and we'd see a lot of the, the athletes that would come to the program That would never classify, and I'm not picking on, never classified themselves as athletes. And it was a golden opportunity for them to do an Olympic distance triathlon. And we had the kind of the mentorship and the coaching to get them through this. But I would see them year after year, and they would remain fat. And the, you know the the scary fat that a lot of people are carrying is, is called visceral fat around their around their midsection and their organs. We see it both in men men and women, and that's the one that is you have this predisposition for uh, insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome that is eventually a precursor to diabetes. So, and that's obviously very prevalent in, in our country. So, uh, I think a lot of the athletes that are carbohydrate dependent, they have this need. And I told athletes for a long time. We need to eat three meals, but we also need to, to kind of have these intermediate uh, snacks. And it's because they're carbohydrate dependent, so they're having breakfast, and then they have a mid morning snack, and lunch, and mid afternoon snack, and then dinner. And I tell them, well, don't eat don't eat after dinner. Not really recognizing, you know, what long term intermittent fasting. You know, obviously you're very familiar with this. Can can help the body readjust and start accessing free fatty acids initially, and then ketone bodies if they're actually ketogenic. I think the answer to your question, Mark, is that we have so many, uh, Brad, excuse me, we have so many choices of carbohydrates. And the choices of carbohydrates that people are consuming just during their exercise day is out of control, totally out of control.
0: Guys, this is Dave Scott talking. Come on, you're, you're out of control. I mean, a, a lot of people are, uh, I'm sorry, but they're making lots of money, off the athletic community, peddling them this stuff and telling them they need to take it. And in some ways, they're right because the if the overall diet is off base, you are going to be hungry and you're going to need that gel to make it home uh, b- before you uh, push the button for Uber when you're 12 miles outside of town. So we're talking about a comprehensive plan here to modify the training in the in the manner you discussed and also transition the diet uh, towards something more healthy.
1: Yeah, you hit it right on the nose, Brad. I, um... And and I can profess that, gee whiz, I know all this stuff. Well, I told athletes for years, you know, we need these carbohydrates. And I work with companies that pay me money that push carbohydrates. And uh, again, the science was there, but it was really buried. And, 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 uh, you know, the whole, the whole, um, notion that saturated fat was bad for us, and and you know all fat was bad for us. And I went through the early '80s thinking, gee, you know, if I eat one molecule of fat, it's bad for me. So therefore, i am going to increase my carbohydrates. I might as well eat a bag of rice cakes because that's a lot better than an avocado, which is nonsense. Um, so I think you know, first off, if we were both sitting in a room and we're talking to not just the super athletes, but just just a mixture of athletes and people that want to be healthy. You know one of the first things that they could do, a lot of people you know can check their blood panels, they can look at their c reactive protein, they can look at uric acid levels. There are other markers that will give them indicators of gee, whiz, i'm I'm really eating poorly. Uh, you know they can get their LDLs fractionated and see what see what's going on there. First thing that they do is they eliminate. The really simple carbohydrates, and those are really the, the juice form carbohydrates. Whether it's sweetened teas, it's Coca Cola, it's whatever, it's the fluid replacement drink, Gatorades that are out there. You just know you've got to get rid of them. It's apple juice and all, all of the above. So, um, and, and I'm I'm pretty potent on that message, but I think that's a start. And people, some folks will see that they they actually have you know great change by just doing that, and then. You know, if they're really shifting to fat adaptation, then they they've got to look at the remainder of carbohydrates that are out there, whether it's grains and pastas, and certainly all the packaged foods. And they also simultaneously have to get rid of the trans fats, and and that will start cleaning up their diet. Uh,
0: how do you find the, uh, the the clientele that you work with? Uh, are they receptive to this? Do you see a movement building where um, people are going to in mass transition away from? The mistakes we've made in the past, or where, where do we stand in your opinion?
1: Um, I, I think we have a lot of resistance, but I think we have open ears. I mean, you know, what came out from the last fifty years was don't eat saturated fat, you're gonna be a lot healthier. And look at our country. Look at our athletic pool. As you said, a lot of them are very overweight, very unhealthy. You know, we have the highest incidence of, of metabolic syndrome diabetes in, in here, insulin resistance, leptin resistance. Everything is catastrophic because our diet didn't work, and then we went through that phase where everything was um, no uh, no fat, and so it was really high sugar, and it was a billion dollar industry, and we realized that didn't work either. So I think athletes are and other lay people are looking at like it's not working. Um, is there better advice? Is there a better avenue out there? And and you know looking at a higher fat, healthy higher healthy fat. I always say HHF, higher healthy fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate. And, and people think, well, gee, that's no carbohydrate. It's not, it's not no carbohydrates. It's really looking at net carbs from the, from the healthy carbs. Uh, and, and obviously, there's a lot of starchy carbs that are out there. There's fruit that has high levels of fructose. But there are a whole bucket of really uh, healthy carbohydrates. And, and, you know, we look at kale and broccoli and spinach uh, you know, the list of peppers, the list is really endless leeks. You know, I, I put them on my tray every night and cook them. Uh, it, we're looking at net carbs. So we're taking out the fiber content from those carbohydrates to really get that carbohydrate grams down. So if I have six grams of kale and there's two uh, grams of fiber, the net is four. And so we really want to look at that. So there, there's, there's healthy carbohydrates that we should eat. And that's part of our regular diet, but wow, are we just smashing our diets with an endless supply of bad carbohydrates? It, and it, it's you know it's really scary what's kind of happened to our country. But it's also scary for the athletes that are doing this because you know right at the outset of our chat, I, I think you know we're really pumping our pancreas to pump out this massive levels of, of insulin. And and insulin is, is inflammatory. Sugar is inflammatory. So I think, gosh, you know, for long term for this country to turn things around, I hope people do listen. And they are listening. Uh, I, I just posted a thing, a, a couple articles on my Facebook that riled up a lot of people. Like, how can you do this? And, and there's a lot of folks from American Heart Association that – um, and I'm not picking on the, the physicians out there because there's a whole slew that have looked at it and, and they they have a lot more credibility than Dave Scott or Brad Kearns. These people have published uh, PhD uh, publishers as well that have looked at uh, carbohydrates as, as working and absolutely they do and now they're kind of looking at the complete science and looking at the science that was really uncovered because it wasn't thorough way back when. And so the standards by the FDA and the government were really mandated. We all follow, we all follow them. Um, and, and that's the scary thing. And now people are going, uh, I don't really buy all that. I'm going to try something different.
0: Yeah, and and trying it is uh, really you know we we emphasize that importance of personal choice and experimentation. So whatever whatever Dave Scott says or whatever Brad Kern says, that may very well be true. We have no credibility, but if you go out there and try it and you start to feel better, and I think a great takeaway if you're going to take something away from uh, from from Dave's comments here is if you just dump those juices at, as your first step and and tiptoe in that proper direction and slow down from that kind of hard workout pattern that prevails and then try some of this uh, interval stuff to to cleanse the cardiovascular system. Now we're talking. And before I let you go, I want to get a little bit into your experience with keto. You've written some good articles about it and where that stands and how to um, kind of uh, balance that, I guess, with the needs of the competitive athlete that definitely wants to recover and not interfere with that. And sometimes there's a little bit of a, a balance point there where the keto people, they're not eating a ton of calories, they're not eating a ton of carbohydrates, and then they're having these ambitious goals.
1: Well, I I, I think... We have to look at the science. We have to look at really great data from the scientists that are actually investigating this. And, you know, their their reputations are online. And there's, as you know, there's a number of them that are out there that have published for a long time. Uh, Jeff Volek and Stephen Finney and Dom DiAgostino and Dr. Veach. These are scientists that have have looked at fat adapted athletes and and really looked at nutritional ketosis. And, You know, for the layperson, that's getting that net carbs down to 50 grams of carbohydrates per day. But on an athletic side, people that are active and the activity level depends on your metabolic rate. The variance on that net carbs, because here we are telling them don't eat as many carbs, can really vary between about 75 up to 150 grams of carbohydrates per day, and you really need to measure your blood ketone levels to actually know whether you're not in ketosis most athletes will know. They, they will know w- w- when they're there. And there should be a four to six-week period where they all of a sudden shift from a particularly carb-adapted diet to saying, you know, I want to clean it up. What you just su- suggested, uh, Brad, we both agree on this, is that we start with the, the simple sugars, the, the juices, and then you start with the grains And the packaged carbohydrates that are out there, the trans fats, you start weaning yourself away from that, the pastas that are out there that, you know, is kind of a mainstay of the American dish. Um, And you've got to start cutting that way, way, way back and start including healthier vegetables. And there are healthier fruits, particularly the, you know, colored fruits. uh, All the berries are all pretty high. Uh, I'll just segue to one thing. Everyone thinks agave syrup, and agave nectar. It's in everything. It's in a shake. It's really healthy. It's absolutely the worst one that you can have because it has the highest grams of fructose by volume. So anytime you see agave, it's really poisonous. For for, for people that are deaf, that's a pretty potent word. So I don't want to say poisonous. Stay away from
0: that. This podcast is sponsored by Dave Scott Healthy Food Line. We do not sell energy bars. No agave. It's kale and chard. You can buy it at DaveScott.com. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Brad. <laughs> uh, that, I'll give you a couple a couple things I think athletes are concerned with. I'm not going to be able to fuel myself under higher intensity. and we, and that's not true. There's you know show me one study that's not funded by some someone else, and I'm not going to bring it up, uh, that says we're we're not accessing our uh, high anaerobic output on a fat adapted diet. that's that's not true because the ATP that we use is really for ninety five percent of the energy production. Anything about 15 seconds or less, it's it, it, it stored phosphagen. So um, we're tapping into this ATP. I think the second thing, which is very, very interesting, is that when we look at muscle liver glycogen replenishment from a day-to-day basis, I had a hard workout on Monday. I want to do it again on Tuesday. What happens with the muscle liver glycogen stores? We, we know they go up with, with carbohydrate, but they actually go up higher. They go up higher with a higher healthy fat or a ketogenic diet. And there's a number of studies that are showing that right now. Uh, and the, I, the faster I, study
0: I, you're referring to, for sure, where the um, the high the high fat low carb guys replenish glycogen faster somehow, uh, even than the um, than the uh, high carb guys. Th-
1: that's exactly right. And, and the other thing is during exercise, uh, the pathways are kind of similar between protein and carbohydrate. And there's actually a, a sparing of the blood protein. So the blood pro- circulating blood proteins are actually higher because we actually tap into those and use those as fuel uh, the, the longer the exercise session goes. And those re, those are higher post-exercise. So there's generally less muscle damage with a ketogenic adapted, fat adapted person as opposed to a carbohydrate. And, and that's, I you know, people are looking at recovery, but it's also, again, I look at the inflammation that occurs w- with the carbohydrates. But I think those Two things are, are quite interesting because that ultimately affects the performance of the mitochondria and the mitochondria are going to be healthier as a, as a result of the, the healthy fat. I'll just one, mention one more thing, Brad. I think just from a health standpoint, if you feed folks high, healthy, saturated fat, and we can look at different forms of saturated fat we can reel off the, you know, the healthy fats, you know, from cold water fish that are high in omega threes to olives and, 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 and avocados and even hard cheese. And people say, well, how about yogurt? And, and I don't steer away from that in the whole carbohydrate, but it's gotta be whole fat, plain yogurt, not whole fat, vanilla <laughs> yogurt, but, but plain yogurt as well. Um, it, it, if we look at the high fat intake, as opposed to a carbohydrate intake people should really look at their fractionated LDLs and see what happens. And there's a lot of studies now looking at high healthy fat is lowering their LDLs. And we've got to look at the bad LDLs, um, not the fluffy ones, because that's really what we should look at. And ironically, the HDLs seem seemingly go up, and the number of studies have shown that with the high healthy fat as opposed to carbohydrates. So I'm kind of nuts about it, as you can tell. I think it's something that, you know, as a, I don't really know what my title is, but certainly trying to direct people in the right way. Uh, I, I went to Australia about 25 years ago, gave a clinic and all the people were kind of old like me. And I went back there again. They said, Dave, you told us to eat all those carbohydrates. And I said, yeah, sorry about that. I'm, <laughs> glad, <laughs> I'm glad you're still alive. You have any and, yeah. you know, I think we need to stand in the face that you know, we didn't review the science as well as we could, and I have a science background. I thought, gee, I'm kind of on the cusp of this. Well, hardly. You know, I missed it. Tim Noakes missed it, and there's a lot of MDs and PhDs that missed it as well that are now coming out. And, and there's some I think that, you know, should be given the Nobel Prize. I, I think Jeff Bolick and his studies, um, Low Carbohydrate Living is a fantastic book to start with. I actually have it. Here's, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, screenshot. It's there you go. Yeah and it's you know it's it's a great easy read and it has a, and he he has tremendous science in here and you can read the science reviews and I think I think that's what people want to hear because anecdotally we're going to get slammed and we are you are by telling people to eat high healthy fat and lower carbohydrate but I always kind of refer to good science and come back to it and also what was really studied and what was kind of mandated and paid for by a lot of big industry pharmaceuticals and the FDA and it, you know kind of followed that and um you know that's that's scary because we have a huge no pun intended we have a massive problem in this country and and really worldwide
0: Dave, I got you going off, man. I like that. I mean, this is—it's a, <laughs> it, a hot topic. I mean, I kind of—I kind of liken it to when you're talking about the ignorance of the science and and all that. It's kind of like the investment bubble. When we're sitting here on an investment show and we're doing the dot-com craze and you and I are saying, you know, Apple's a great buy at 831, I, I, I see only future potential. Or a company that hasn't made any money yet and everyone's talking about, you know, when to buy and sell, whether it's at 87 or 93 and they haven't even made a profit. But everyone's collectively buying into it and therefore there's a bubble. And I think that was us as the athletes thinking, well, well look, Dave, no one's ahead of you on the road in Hawaii. So whatever you're doing is working okay by many important measures. So, you know, we're going to look to the examples that the elite athletes are setting. And now I think at the end of your diatribe, I'm concluding that you probably could have gone 755 in Hawaii in 1989 had you been eating keto. I don't know. Would you agree or disagree?
1: Uh, I, I think there's maybe a number of factors, Brad. You know, we can always postulate that, boy, I could have, could have, should have. Uh, yeah, I think we had the capability of, of going faster. And and I, and I think you hit it right on the nose is that. You know, we, we look at the better athletes. What are they doing? They're doing a lot of things right. So somewhere in the scheme of things where we're standing outside and saying, no, you're not doing this right, you're not doing strength training right, your volume's too much, your intensity's wrong, oh by the way, you hold the world record. Well they're doing they're they're doing something right. So we need to look at it and and, and quite often the, the science, and certainly in triathlon, it's kind of followed the sport because, it's, you know, the sport is relatively young. So the scientists said we, we better start doing blood draws on these people and see what's going on and muscle damage and, uh, you know, what, what's happening in their glycogen stores. So all of a sudden the science said, well, this is what we really see. But the athletes are going, well, we already knew that. We knew it to some degree. And and again, I feel, and and, and not to keep reiterating this point, is that I always look at this this whole paradox. Are are we really nurturing the athlete from a healthy standpoint? And and are we trying to maximize not only their health but their performance? And if people say poo-poo diet, that's just total ignorance. And if they have blind ears to listening to someone who's going to talk about fat-adapted people, fat-adapted athletes, what are the pluses in, in doing this? I I, if I was 25 years old now and not 63 on the cusp of 64, I would say, you know, I'd I'd like to hear about this. I would really open my ears and and maybe I had blind ears way back when I felt like, you know, I'm on top of the world. I don't need to listen to that. But I I hope that I wasn't that naive. Oh, I think you were cutting edge all along,
0: and that's what was so amazing to see you uh, leading the charge here, transitioning with uh, all the people that are, you know, on board on this. Uh, I guess you'd call it the, you know, the ancestral uh, example, primal paleo, low carb, keto. Uh, so it's been a pleasure to to catch up to you and, and talk about this stuff, Dave. I mean, it's it's it feels good because we've come a long way in many ways, and you know, the last parting words you gave there that we can protect our health as we. Protect Pursue these competitive goals. That's a really great insight for everyone involved in participating. That's really what it's all about rather than destroying health to get a a medal on the wall. I don't think that's a fair trade. I don't think, I think you'd agree, even though you were, you know, you sacrifice everything to be an elite athlete, but, um, you know, we, we want to, we want to talk, talk things over when, when I'm 63, right. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's keep this dream going here. So Dave Scott, what are we gonna uh, what are we gonna plug? We're we gonna go look at your website. Uh, there's a lot of good content there for free, and I think there's a ton of options if you're an athlete wanting to get coached. What do we got? How do we find you?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think the easiest thing, people always ask this, Brad. I think just Google me, and there's either an astronaut or a felon, or you'll you'll find me. So uh, yeah, I, I do pump out a lot of information. I like writing the science on it, and so I have a newsletter that they can sign up for. We put it out uh, twice per month, and. And I always have tips, and you know, this uh, high fat, low carb diet is, is, is really the hottest topic right now. So I, you know, address this quite a bit. And um, I do a number of Facebook Lives, so you can uh, tune into those. I'm heading to uh, Kona real soon, and I, I have some of those. I'm not sure when you're airing your show, but uh, I do have a lot of Facebook Lives that, that will be coming up. We try to pick, you know, relevant topics. It's not just hopefully gibberish. Um, and hopefully I'll have an opportunity to do more podcasts uh, with you.
0: Oh, I'd love to catch up again. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into this, uh, you know, checkpoint again in, in some months' time and talking further about keto. Dave Scott, always easy to find. I remember the old joke in the Sports Illustrated profile, and uh, apparently a package made it to you addressed Dave Scott, triathlete, Davis, California. Remember that line from the writer? Because you're so yes. famous in the small town after winning the Ironman. So just Google the guy, man, find him, and then that newsletter, uh, if it drops into your promotions folder hit the button so it goes into your inbox because i was missing them for a while and it's i mean it looks like you or your team is spending a lot of time and energy every month to put out great content so keep it up man thanks for being on the show this is your host brad kern saying goodbye for dave scott in boulder colorado thank you brad hey man how's your sexual function oh uncomfortable talking about it a skilled practitioner puts the gains wave magic wand onto your magic wand. And after a series of six to 12, very brief treatments, which are painless, but extremely effective, you get real results. Gains wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com/brad. I hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet peak performance and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one on one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an e-book summary of the primal endurance approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a primal endurance athlete. This mini course will help you develop a strong basic understanding of this all encompassing approach to endurance training that includes primal aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it.